And now it's time to bait our hooks, cast our nets, drop our poles in the water, and fish for some jokes with Down on the Dock. Yeah, we're back. <laughs> Welcome to Down on the Docks, episode 62. Of course, I'm Chris Neff, and I'm joined as always by my partner, Dave Sarah. How are you, buddy? I hate that fucking thing. It's not going to stop. You, the thing. I don't, I don't know why partner bothers me so much. I, I don't know why it does either, but I know it bothers you, so I'm not going to stop fucking doing it. That's Sup, the pussies. point. Okay. If I could get rid of the sub pussies, I'll call you whatever you want. All right. But again, we don't censor on this show. No. Uh, I am very excited to be back with, with the conclusion of Soaked in Bleach. So, uh, listeners, if you're just discovering this podcast, don't start here. Back it up to episode 61, where we covered the first part of Soaked in Bleach, a documentary that was released in 2015, produced, written, and directed by Benjamin Statler. Now, Dave, before we get into the show, you, of course, know I like to let the listeners why we do this show. Can you explain to our listeners why this show exists and what we do around here? Drugs? Yes. Pussy? Yes. Correct. Loneliness. You're yeah, here loneliness. because I don't have anybody to talk to. It's okay. You can say it. You're not going to hurt uh, my feelings. Actually, I thought it was the other one. Well, you have cats, so mm -hmm. they're cool. Um, of course, if you are just discovering us, please uh, find us on social media. Dave, where do they do that? Down on the docks on Twitter, down on the docks pod on Instagram, and then send us an email, down yeah. on the docks at gmail.com. By the way, great um, suggestions this week. I'm yep. going to shout out a few of them at the end of the show. Nice. Um, before we jump into today's episode, Dave, yeah. please let our know, our, excuse me, please let our listeners know who is great, gracious enough to sponsor this show. Dude, this show would not be done without sticky strips. Uh huh. But you know who sells sticky strips? Oh, Dave. Broccoli Farms. That's right. This week's episode of Down in the Docks is brought to you by Broccoli Farms. Established in 2016 San Diego. By the way, Broccoli Farms 619 on Instagram. Mm -hmm. San Diego, California by Candace entrepreneur Anthony Bird. Our friend Anthony. Nice guy. Never met him. Great guy. Never met him. Broccoli Farms is a modern take on cannabis brands around the world. By combining new terminology involving cannabis worldwide, Anthony created a cannabis brand that uniquely represents the entire cannabis industry as one. Broccoli Farms. How many times did I say cannabis in that sentence? Three, four, maybe four, five. Four. I think four times. You know what? That's also my fault. The lowest delivery minimum in San Diego, bar none. All right. Do love me them sticky strips. Uh, sweet, They're getting really expensive, though. Sweet Mary Jane, as, our, bomb. as our good friend Rodriguez would say. Yeah. Um, like Sh Sugar man. I'm super stoked to get to the conclusion of this because, you know, Dave, I've said before, part one is the exposition, right? We get close to the ending. Part two, that second week is when I do my deep dives yeah. and I go down the hole. So before we start, <laughs> hole. Before, before we start, I want to know, give me a percentage sure. of what you were leaning towards as far as suicide or possible murder of Kurt Cobain. That's a tough question because I could see Courtney Love being such a fucking asset to the government and or a cunt that <laughs> she would cause 
Kurt to just kill himself. Okay. Yeah, exactly. She but, could just be one of those women that you're but not. I think that there's some foul play involved. Okay. Well, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up. Yeah. And then we're gonna get into some finer details. And then, of course, at the end, you're gonna share with the audience as well as I will. Uh, of what our conclusions are now i feel like i feel like it was one of those things where like he was passed out on uh-huh. the couch or however he died he was in the heroin room and remember then, yeah yeah the the, the d-gen den yeah and like uh courtney like tied a little string like you know to like a tooth uh-huh. you know, and then how you close <laughs> the, the door, door. <laughs> just fucking yeah so she peewee herman some sort of mousetrap device yep with a syringe full of heroin Three times the the normal size, yeah, and then was able to get out of there scot free. That's yeah. your your working yeah, theory, yeah, with some uh, fishing wire. Okay, well, we talked about the heroin uh, contents and how it was three times the normal dose, lethal dose, for somebody. Yeah, but we didn't get a chance to get into the forensics, the ballistics of the shotgun. Ooh. The logistics of the ballistics is what we're going to start with today. Okay, all right, so let's talk about the gun. Well, Tom Grant says when Seattle police report, excuse me, he says Seattle police reports indicate, and I'm going to do a little visual so you can get this in your mind, uh, and I'm going to try and as best explain it to the viewers. Well, Cobain's found. He's on his back. His left hand has the gun, okay? But the gun's upside down, and he pulled the trigger. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Okay, so the left hand that's grasping the barrel it was in a vice-like grip. Do you know what that's called? Yeah. What? Like a vice-like grip, like with an actual vice or just like a really strong grip? You know what I'm saying? You know what happens when your hand does that? Yeah, it's just like, yeah, holding it very strong. Cadaveric spasm. I didn't know that was the terminology. Oh. He had the death grip, bro. Oh, shit. Like rigor mortis. Yeah, but apparently cadaveric spasm is a form of muscular stiffening that only occurs in death. So if you're holding on to something and you're fucking... Your head blows up? (laughs) Yes. Your hand will just lock on to whatever it was holding. Wow, it's like a lock jaw with a pimple. Yeah. So Tom says the occurrence is indispensable to forensic investigation as it clearly shows the precise orientation of the deceased at the exact moment of death. In this case, Coban's left hand gripping uh, gripping the barrel upside down okay that's how he was found now this all seems straightforward until you take into account the shotgun shell was found on cobain's left side all right but the chamber exits out on the right okay okay maybe he had had it upside down it was upside down that's the whole point well i mean the gun's upside down he's got his left hand on the barrel oh oh, when you say upside down i meant like instead of the the trigger facing down, the trigger facing up. The trigger was facing up. The oh. gun is upside down. Okay. Okay. So normally, if you're going to shoot yourself, you're going to do it like you know straight well, on. What if you do it like this? No, no. It was the shotgun was inverted. Okay. Okay. So his hand is holding the shotgun Got in it. an inverted position on the barrel, and the right is off to the side. But it could have twisted, maybe. Well, this is where we get into the sure, particulars. Sure, sure. Okay, the okay. point is, if it was shot in that direction. The chamber would have exited the right. bullet to the right of his right, body. Right, Instead, right, right. it was found on the other side, yeah. to the left. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. that's flimsy, but okay. Okay, why do you say that's flimsy? Well, I, I just feel like in a certain situation, and obviously I'm not a fucking expert, but like I feel like something like that 
it could be twisted, the way he fell, the way um, maybe when it jerks one way. You never know. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't okay, know. well, I don't Seattle know. PD explained the illogical trajectory of the shotgun shell by uh, concluding that the shotgun was fired right side up by Cobain. The shotgun then flipped upside down, expelling the shell to his left to finally rest in the position that it was found. But then that also kind of doesn't make sense either because the flip would have to happen after. Correct. Now, here's the thing. We're getting into the JFK magic bullet theory here. Yeah. I mean, did physics that I have no idea about. Right. Did the, did the, the bullet go through JFK and then his wrist and then Conley's back and end up in his leg? You know, there's a lot of shit going no, on here. Yeah, and then it magically ends up. What was it? What's the coroner's name again? Uh, in this one, yeah. Cyril Wecht. That and that guy left a bullet somewhere <laughs> on the in, in the fucking. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, according to Tom, what the Seattle PD proposes is impossible because not only do shotguns do not flip upside down when fired, it completely ignored the cadaveric spasm that locks the grip okay dictating what he calls the precise orientation of the shotgun when it was fired in order for the scenario the seattle police stated cobain's wrist would have to have been bent at an angle that is anatomically impossible the cadaveric spasm shows the precise orientation of cobain's hand at the exact moment of death okay so the hand is on the barrel when mm-hmm. he's dead. Correct. Okay. Guns upside down. Guns upside down. Maybe what happens is his hand doesn't originally start there. It starts closer to the base of the gun. Right. And when he shoots it, it moves closer to the top of the barrel, potentially. But that doesn't change the fact that the gun is upside down. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And the whole point that they're saying is, yeah. you know... If he was in this position and it was shot upside down, the bullet should have gone to the right. Right. And instead, the casing ended up on the left. Yeah. Well, okay. Tom says the only way that shell could have ended up on the opposite side of the room is if when the shell was expelled, it hit an obstruction on Cobain's right side and ricocheted to Cobain's left side okay. to land on his jacket. Okay. Well, the crime scene clearly shows there was no obstructions on his right. Uh-huh. which then put into question if Cobain truly was alone in the greenhouse when the trigger was fired. Okay. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I know. A little washy to me. Here's the thing. You, uh, you weird things happen in life. You ever throw like a, a water bottle at, like 20 feet and it just happens to land right on its yeah. thing? Sure. Or maybe, uh, you know, like look at... Yeah sports you see a, a freak, grounder up the middle accident. and it just shoots in the opposite direction yeah, weird accident. things can happen sure the thing they don't mention in here that i thought of to explain that bullet getting over to the left is what if <laughs> he's holding the gun in his left hand and then his trigger is in the right yeah well couldn't when he hits the trigger couldn't that bullet have bounced off his forearm and back over yeah okay so they don't Perfect. mention this That's, and i'm thinking like yeah yeah, yeah. There okay. might be a burn mark or something. Well, I'm just saying they're saying there's no obstruction, but they're not accounting, taking into account his True. arm could have or been in obstruction. fucking big ass gay sweater, this, all, like all the sweaters he used to use. <laughs> yeah. By the way, you know the sweater yeah. that he wore at the almost acoustic, uh, not almost Christmas, acoustic, but not, no, not almost acoustic Christmas, yeah. the, uh, the acoustic version. 
I think it's sold. Oh, you mean on unplugged? Yeah, unplugged. I yeah. think it sold for like half a mil. No, it was like thirty-eight grand or something like oh, that. That's a pretty good deal. They said it had like forty uh, like cigarette burns in it. That <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, well, Rosemary Carroll. I forgot who bought it. We're gonna go back into uh, another one of the reenactments. Rosemary Carroll and Tom. They're on the phone, and and these are from Tom's recording. She says Kurt was not suicidal. And Tom says, have you been watching TV, reading the paper? They're all saying that he's been suicidal for a long time. And Courtney said that this overdose, the one in Rome, she said that was a suicide attempt. Well, Rosemary says that is not true. And Tom says, it was Rosemary's involvement that really pushed me forward because if somebody in Rosemary's position was telling me the things she was telling me, then I was not off base. I wasn't crazy. I wasn't a lunatic. Well, back to that reenactment, Rosemary says, uh, she called me, meaning Courtney, a couple of weeks ago and said Kurt was leaving her and asked me to find the meanest, most vicious divorce lawyer I could find. She even asked me if there was a way to to avoid their prenup. Did you know that he nupped her? Wow. Yeah, that's some pretty heavy news. Well, that's why... Yeah. Okay. And see, here's the problem with Rosemary Carroll and her husband, Danny Goldberg. If she's the, the attorney to both of them, she's a conflict of interest. But of she's course. adamant that saying Kurt wasn't suicidal. Now I'm suspicious because she called me last week saying, Kurt's going to divorce me. Can you save my prenup money? You well, know. well it, I don't think it's necessarily a conflict of interest if she's representing them as like for other things. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you wouldn't tell your lawyer that represents both you and your husband in all matters to find me a divorce attorney. That's you, you, that's a conflict, in my opinion. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. Tom says, um, and she said the same time, uh, about the same time, Kurt had called her. No, actually, you would want to because that would be like a... That, that's confidentiality between the two. That means that it would never get out. This way, if she went to someone else, then it's oh, like okay. Courtney Love is looking for, or whoever the fuck's looking for an attorney. Gotcha. Okay, well, anyway, Tom, Clown con- con- Tom continues and says, she said about the same time, Kurt had called her also and asked her if she could have Courtney's name taken out of the will. Okay? So again, yeah. you've got somebody who represents both parties in a marriage one saying, um, give me a divorce lawyer. The other one saying, write my wife out of the will. That's got to be a weird position to be in, uh, you know? Uh, probate. One's a probate. <laughs> Whatever. Kurt makes a phone call to Rosemary from Munich, Germany in March uh-huh. of 1994. <laughs> we see this on the screen. This is verified information. He requested that Courtney be removed from his will moments before going on stage for the last time. Ten days or two days later, as a result of the near fatal levels of rohypnol with the champagne, Kurt was rushed to the hospital in Rome. Yeah, okay, that, that actually works in Courtney's favor. How? Well, that's uh, like he's not in sound mind. Okay, but the timing is really fucked up. Yeah. So anyway, let's get back to Rosemary and Tom. Um, Tom says. Does it seem strange that Courtney didn't go up to Seattle, not even once, to look for him? And she says, absolutely. Well, Tom is like, when I offered to go up, she said she couldn't go with me because she had some business down here in L.A. Yeah, to fuck some fucking... Close. It's smack business. 
Okay. Rosemary says she didn't have any business in LA. Yeah. She was just hanging out at the peninsula yeah. with her Ronnie friends. Yeah. So Chateau Marmont. Oh, by the way, one of the first bars I ever went to in LA. Amazing. Uh, the whole building's amazing. We'll talk about that building. That's where uh, a lot of people died. Not, not only that people died, but that scene from the doors uh, when Morrison's hanging off the know. ledge. I don't listen to hacks. Uh, <laughs> and do an LA woman. Uh, I've been in the building many times and I, I remember being like, can you take me to that room? I just want to see it. And they're like, yeah, Sick. of course. So I'm, anyway, I met um, the king of Sunset Strip. What was his name? Rodney Binghamire. Ron- yep. Uh, he was at my uh, my cousin's uh, 50th birthday at, at Chateau Marmont. Okay. Well, they Rose, used be, they used to be on the radio together. Rosemary continues and says, what I don't understand is how you didn't see him in the greenhouse the first night you were there. And Tom says, wait a minute. I didn't even know the greenhouse existed until the day I heard it on the radio. And she says, but Courtney told Dylan to check it when he called Courtney at my house Wednesday night. Okay. This is the night that so they went Courtney over. Courtney didn't know, you're saying? No, no, no. Oh, sorry. The other Tom chick. didn't know. Tom. Tom okay, okay, okay. About okay. the greenhouse. Got it, got it, got it, got it. And Courtney then says, Dylan and Tom, go to the greenhouse. Got it, got it, got it. And Rosemary is saying, I heard her say to Dylan, check the greenhouse. Aha. Uh-huh. All right. Now, this is obviously damning information that Dylan did not instruct Tom to look in the greenhouse. Heroin. Or, or exactly. What if he was just rawned out and forgot because he was just Happened. so out of it? Okay. Now, Tom says, um, no, she never told me to check the greenhouse. Well, Rosemary's like, wow. That's some bullshit. Um. And she says, I mean, that's, you know, it's obvious they're lying. Yeah. All right. Remember Max Wallace, the guy that wrote Love and Death? Yep. He says, a lot of people mock Tom for being at the house on the case looking for Kurt. And Kurt was literally dead 20 feet away and never found him. What does that say about his abilities as a PI? Well, he says, I went back on a rainy night and it was dark. And, you know, it was tough to see. He's technically doing something illegal obviously no he's not not how is it illegal he's courtney's hired him he's given been given oh, permission. I guess, yeah, yeah, oh yeah he's yeah, private that's, dick bro that's a, good, that's a good point but she, she owns half the house i guess yeah well dylan didn't tell him that's max's point and dylan must have known that it was there so i went and tested that and sure enough you couldn't see this house you know, if you weren't looking for it, meaning the greenhouse. Like, like it's hard to find. Yeah, even though in all the pictures we see, it looks like a driveway. House is on the right. Greenhouse is at the top of sure, the steps. Sure, sure, sure. Apparently at night, tough to, tough to see. Well, at least five people, <sighs> including Seattle police officers, had been to the Lake Washington house searching for Kurt during daylight hours, and they had also failed to see Kurt already lying dead wow. in the greenhouse. It's just kind of sketchier and sketchier. But again, we're always going off the pictures that we saw and houses right there, dude. Green smack room right above the garage. It's hard not to miss. Yes. Yeah. I mean, excuse me, be extremely. Yeah, I guess it's just I don't I don't know. I've never seen it. I got to see it now. Well, Tom says Courtney apparently had let Danny Goldberg. That's her husband. See the note, but she wouldn't let Rosemary see it. Okay, so Danny Goldberg, Rosemary, they're the couple, the power couple. So Attorneys. Correct. Courtney hands the note to Danny, but she's like, Rosemary isn't allowed to see this. So that mystified her. 
and she became more suspicious and it made me more suspicious as well. Well, we've got some big news coming. Max Wallace says to hear Courtney's own lawyer, Kurt and Courtney's entertainment lawyer, Rosemary, the godmother of Francis Bean, somebody that knew them better than almost anybody telling Tom that they were in the middle of a divorce, that Kurt was drawing up a new will. And most importantly, I think the tape that really had me reeling was hearing Rosemary Carroll looking at the suicide note and immediately concluding that it was a forgery. Okay. Yeah. This is pretty intense. You know, when you're watching it, you're like, okay, tell us how you're going to prove this. Well, we hear another conversation and Rosemary says that suicide note is a pastiche of things he had written before. It's pasty. What does that mean? Like a, an amalgam, um, like a bunch, uh, okay. a patchwork, you know, it was a bunch I know of what things. amalgam is, yeah. Mosaic, uh, maybe. A mo- there you go, mosaic. But she says it was someone copying his handwriting. Right. This is my theory, and it may be, and it's a lot of intuition. I think all of the weirdness with Callie, obviously living in the house for several days, while there was Kurt's corpse in the other place, I think it had to do with the suicide note. And Tom says, I feel that there's a possibility that this was a suicide. She says, right. But then Tom says, but when I start going through my notes and refreshing my memory about everything that's going on and what people are saying, well, Tom, that's when the the phone call cuts off. But Tom says, I believe Courtney never thought the public was going to ever see that note. Now, if I hadn't have tricked her out of a copy of the note, the public likely never would have seen it. You got to burn that shit. Well, remember the the first note she found in Rome? Yeah. And they said, you should burn this because yeah. it looks bad for yeah. you. Well, we're going to do another recreation of Tom and Courtney. And these are uh, this conversation takes place at Courtney's house uh, after Kurt's dead. And Tom says, so I heard you read the note on TV. Now, this would have been like 10 days later. I want to say April 18th when they did the public service. Right. And I'm confused about something. It sounded like the note said, quote, I'm lying on the bed, unquote. Now, if Kurt was lying in the bed when he wrote the note, why was the bed so neat when I came here the other night? I mean, it looked like somebody had been on the bed. And she says, Courtney, I was lying on the bed recording the message for Kurt's fans. Because remember, she wasn't present at the service. She phoned in and read the apology. Oh. The the suicide. Right. Well, Tom says, are you sure that's what you said? Because I was under the impression that Kurt was lying on the bed. And she says, look, I'll show you. It's just a copy, but the cops have the original. And Tom, being a PI, says, uh, I forgot my glasses in the car. Um, I'll just take it down and I'll Xerox it and I'll read it later. So that's how he secures the note. Well, between another conversation between Rosemary and Tom, Rosemary says, maybe you think you could come over again? Uh-huh. Tom's like, yeah, that's fine. And she's like, well, there's some stuff I want to show you. Okay. Well, I don't know. I just, some of the stuff that was left at my house that I never thought to really look at or look at all, quite honestly, until last night. Well, back to a recreation scene with Rosemary and Tom at her house. Rosemary says she left this after she came over to my house the night of the 6th. And 
what it is, he hands, she hands him a piece of paper and she says, what do you think this is? Well, the piece of paper is a, uh, a sheet that has different groupings of letters written all over it. Same letters, different styles and cases. Yeah. And it looks like a worksheet. Yeah. Okay. Like, like traced or somebody professional did it. Correct. It looks like it was traced, but the whole point is this, this isn't a song lyric. This isn't something that's from their diaries. It is somebody with like, okay, here's how a K. Yeah. Here's how a big K works. Here's how a little K works. Now, for effect in the film, they take these letters and transcribe them over the suicide note and they match up perfectly. Okay? Mm, okay. So it's a little creepy when you see that. Well, <clears throat> well, I mean, you know, they used to do that shit with the light, you know, uh, the light underneath it. You put the thing on top and you put the other paper and you just, it's not that hard. Yeah, but the big question is, why does she have this in her possession? Uh, Rosemary Carroll. Because she thinks it's a fake. Right. But the whole point is, if you were going to make a fake and you're Courtney, why would you just destroy that? Oh, well, yeah. If you're, if you're Courtney, then yeah. Because maybe it looked real enough. My point is, if I'm going to go through the trouble of faking a suicide letter, yeah. I'm going to get rid of the primer I created. Okay? It's not going to be around anywhere after I'm done using it. Yeah. But this ended up in Rosemary's possession. Huh. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Rosemary says. But it's 100% a primer then, huh? Well, again, this is a visual thing that they've go- chosen as a directorial decision huh. to make it look like, you know, right on top of it, everything fits. Now, I don't know if they're using the actual. I got to look at it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. But as a viewer, you're like, that's a fucking match, bro. Yeah. So Rosemary says, I think someone went through his notebooks, found passages that could plausibly be cobbled together to a suicide note and traced them. You think they were traced? Yeah, or forged or something like that. Wow. And then Rosemary says, are you taping this call? Tom, I tape all my calls. Oh, shit, Tom. Hell oh, yeah. Do you want me to turn it off? Yeah, I need dead. Line goes dead. Fuck. Well, Rosemary Carroll denied providing assistance and information to Tom as evidenced by the hours of recorded calls. When Tom Grant began to go public and reveal the evidence pr- provided by Rosemary Carroll. Additionally, Tom Grant received a letter from Rosemary Carroll's office threatening lawsuit because and possible criminal prosecution. For a single... Uh, like single party recording, maybe. Well, here's the thing. I don't know. It varies from state to state. Yeah, obviously. But the point is, she's saying I don't want to be involved in this. Yeah. Even though it's very clear in the tone of her voice, and these aren't recreations. It's her tone we're listening to because yeah. they're recorded. She does sound very suspicious. She sounds very worried. Wor- well, worried or suspicious. Suspicious. So like suspicious on like not. Like you don't think she's suspicious, you you you're saying she's suspicious about the situation. Oh, correct. Okay, okay. She's okay. not a sketchy witness. Okay, 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 okay. Now here's the thing: you have to be very careful because the conversation I'm referencing right now, that's direct audio. It's not a recreation. Right, right, right. We hear the direct audio between those two. Well, days later, Tom Grant responds, and we see a screen cap of from his website. 
and it's a letter he sent to Rosemary, and these passages are highlighted. From the beginning, you played a major role in directing this investigation and exposing some facts and details that implicated Courtney as part of the conspiracy that eventually led to Kurt's murder. Oh, it's shit. time for you to come forward and speak to the authorities. Whoa. Now I'm starting to think Tom's a bitch. We'll get there. Fuck. In addition, kids are continuing to commit suicide themselves, thinking Kurt did it, so it must be the way to go! Exclamation point. Okay. The last of these incidents occurred just a couple of weeks ago. So we'll get back to that in a second. Another recording between Tom and Courtney goes like this. Uh, or excuse me. Uh, yes, Court, Courtney Love says, Rosemary was really, really freaked out by your letter. Well, she should say that in public. She ought to say that I'm lying about it. If she really believes that. Then sit back and watch me prove that she did say it. It's really easy to say it behind closed doors, but she ought to go public and say that sooner or later, she's going to be forced to. Courtney, yeah, she read your letter. Well, I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'll, I just went to a conference on your phone and that way you could like, and it's just like, what, what the fuck's going on? Tom says, what? Yeah, she's kind of incoherent. Tom says, You're, you've promised me things before and it didn't come through. Well, Tom says, almost immediately after Kurt's death was announced in the media, the phenomenon of copycat suicides began. Oh, God. I didn't remember any of this. Did you ever, did you ever see that movie, Copycat? Yeah, of course. It's great. Sigourney Weaves. <laughs> Fucking uh, <laughs> tough titty, said the kitty, but the mix still good. Don't so remember gross, that exact dude, line. So gross. Yeah, it's fun watch going back and watching those because you see how computers first look Actually, when it came out. Holly Hunter's in it. That might, be, Weaver. that might not be from that. Well, somebody fact check us. Well, that's uh, uh, Keith Keith or Severlin. He plays a fuck. enough. Is that the one where he's like with Jennifer Lopez? I don't. I don't know. He plays like a real creepy like pedo or something, and he like sees this little girl, and like I think he was in Copycat. I think that's from the Copycat. Tough titties to the, and he's like pointing at her. Oh my god, it's so weird. Tough titties to the kitty, but the milk still. Somebody's like, making a meme of this right now. Fucking, right now, it's fucking it weird, out. but I'll never forget that shit. Okay, back to Grant's point about kids committing should suicide. Should I stab him or should I shoot him? Sorry, go on. Back to Tom's point, he says, Cobain fans, Nirvana fans, this is happening all around the world. Okay. And we see some headlines: two teens die in a parent's suicide pact. Uh, pair leap off platform in Palos, uh, Rancho Palos Verde to the rocks 150 feet below. Well, Max, the writer of Love and Death says, I'm a dad now. All right. And this absolutely breaks my heart. Sure. I talk to a lot of the families. When you read their suicide notes and you read their journals, it really does draw, drive home the importance of Kurt on his generation. And we see another sentence and it says, quote, one source who had read the boy's suicide note said that he quoted the ill-fated Cobain saying, you can't fire me, I quit, which, of course, is a line from which Nirvana song, Dave? Don't remember. Sentless Apprentice. Well, Tom says... <laughs> I don't even, I don't, which one's that one? It's on In Utero. Uh, okay. Tom says... Sing it for me. I can't right now. The, Tom says the thought... <laughs> I got to stay on topic here. Tom says, the thought of losing the child is horrific. Do you understand why I don't want to sing when we're talking about child death? 
Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. Elton John did. Come on. Okay. Not Elton John. Fucking, what's the other one? Michael Jackson? No, who left his stupid baby out the window? Uh, oh, Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton. He didn't let his stupid baby out the window. Yeah, but he wrote a stupid song about it. Yeah, I know. It's called Tears in Heaven. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Tom says, the thought of losing a child is horrific. I was relieved that I was going to go forward with this because I thought maybe it'll help stop some of these copycat suicide. Well, to date... There are 68 known cases of copycat suicides related to the death of Kurt Cobain. That's nothing. What do you mean? That's a lot of people. I bet you there's more. Oh, I'm sure there's more. These are just the people they know about. I mean, like, I bet you there's somebody else that, that did it, like, copycatted more. That was copycatted more. I bet. Oh, you mean there's, like, uh, okay, yeah. like who? I can't think of one. Who <laughs> okay. who who had who had a sick ass suicide? Uh, I mean, usually it's drugs and pills, and you know, nah, somebody, and rock and roll. Somebody had like, I mean, James Dean. Yeah, but he he died in a car accident. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people died in a car accident. All right. Well, um, we we hear another Hitler. <laughs> we hear that's debatable. You know that. There's a good chance he he's made still, it to Argentina. Yeah, All right. Don't you ever watch History's Mysteries? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, come on. He's Hitler, dude. Yeah, yeah. He may have lost the war, but do you really think he lost his life? The Germans lost the war. The Nazis won. No, wait. The Nazis won, but the Germans lost? I don't remember. All right. Well, the Nazis gonna... won. Let's just put it that way. They ended up somewhere else. I'm yeah, like, they all went to Argentina. Yeah, like well, not, four people died. A lot, a lot, I mean, a lot of them got away. So anyway, um, we hear a conversation between Tom and Courtney, and Tom says, do you still have the note from Seattle? Yes. The one that I got a copy of? You've got that? Yes. It's in the safe deposit box. It's oh on Red Pen, and it's on an IHOP, because I went to IHOP. So that makes sense, because the... Suicide Note has those little things around it on the edge that looks like it's a placemat from IHOP. That's that's wow. what I'm assuming it's from. Classy. Safe the, the Bosque box is empty, I bet. Well, we're going to get there. So Tom says, I mean, that would help too to be analyzed. We could determine whether Kurt wrote the whole thing. Well, remember Norm Stamper, chief of police, um, 94 to 2000, Seattle? Yeah. He says, the fact that the handwriting looks to my untrained eye different at the bottom of the note than it does during the body is certainly does it certainly does suggest that putting that note in the hands of a question documents examiner somebody who really understands a lot more than we cops do that would be a good idea now to visualize the note and we'll talk about the note once we finish the pod he's all fucked up by the time the, the you have about four paragraphs that are all the same font size in handwriting that changes once you get to the end and the letters that they inter they, they test yeah that they show over yeah. those are the bigger letters and the more personal points of the note that are directed to Courtney at the end of the letter okay so you have th about four paragraphs of normal suicide writing yeah all right and then the bottom you have bigger blockier letters yeah. that are personal that go to Courtney and Francis Bean. Okay? Okay, okay. Well, it's we're, time... We're learning. Time to meet Heidi Harrelson. She is a forensic documents examiner. 
And she said, I examined a handwriting sample that was found in Courtney Love's backpack. And it was a practice sheet of different letters, the alphabet. I examined that in comparison to the note. What I find interesting about the practice sheet is that it did have letter combinations and specific letters that are found in the bottom portion of the note. It is possible that somebody else with some skill could indeed imitate his writing, especially those last few lines. Well, we also meet a linguist by the name of Carol Chasky, and she says one of the perhaps surprising characteristics of the note is that the largest section of the note or the initial part talks so much about his relationship to music. And it's only the last portion of the note, the last four lines that talks about his relationship to his family. But there's another linguistically interesting thing about the second or final four lines of the note. And that is that uh, is what is most of us would consider a, a stereotypical suicide note. For instance, I love you. You're better off with somebody. Keep moving forward. Uh, those are the kinds of things we expect to find in suicide notes or even in an overkill to make it very stereotypical so that people wouldn't miss what it was. Now, to be clear, I'm going to read you those last couple of lines that are larger in font than all of the other, call it four paragraphs. It reads, Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis, for her life, which will be so much happier. Without me, I love you. I love you. Now, it's key here. That's the only time there is any sort of inference that this is a suicide note, okay? The, we'll get to the meat and bones of the actual note, but that's the only direct um, communication with somebody that I, I was close to him in his life. So, we're yeah, gonna, they're not just like song lyrics. Correct. Can you imagine that? He just writes, uh, um, <laughs> as you were... Uh, we're gonna rape go, me. We're gonna go to a. That's one of my favorite stories. Stories. The the rape me story. What's the rape me story? He was supposed to play "Smells Like Teen Spirit" at uh -huh. the MTV Music Awards, and he played "Rape Me." Instead. And he started started playing "Rape Me" instead, and then he eventually went into, yeah, he eventually went into "Smells Like Teen Spirit." But, but he like, gave them the old switcheroo, and they all got pissed. Yeah, they all got pissed. Oh, yeah. I didn't. I must have forgotten that. Well, Tom says uh, again. This is the reenactment here. We're with Tom and Courtney at the house in Washington. He says, I've got a lot of questions for Dylan and Callie, especially Callie, who spent more time here at the house than anybody else. And Courtney's like, Callie, he just left for rehab. Um, he's in El Paso or Georgia, I think. No, he's in LA with friends. And um, I'll get Dylan over here. Well, who's, who's writing the reenactments parts? They're not written. They're directly from... His audio recording. Okay, so That's, they're so they're all even the reenactment words and everything. They're all legit. Correct, because they not, overlap. Gotcha, they, gotcha, so gotcha, it's gotcha, clear gotcha, gotcha, to the gotcha, viewer gotcha, gotcha, that gotcha. this is cool, cool, cool from okay. his recording. Cool, cool, cool. Now, at least that's how I read it. You know. Okay. I, I mean, it would be very, very disingenuous. Disingenuous. But that's if what they I'm, use that as a trick to do it sometimes. And not all the time. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like you would you want to use it as much as possible. Right. And then if you're starting to do like these reenactments because you don't have the recordings for them. 
I'd have to double check, but every time they do an reactment, you see Tom's little tape recorder come up and it starts rolling over uh. as this is, was recorded and they end them that way. Uh, by the way, I read a review somewhere describing these reenactments as a sophomoric attempt to rip off um, the great David Fincher. Um, they're, 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 they're washed out. They, somebody described them as looking very similar to Zodiac as far as like the cinematography. And, and they're not wrong by saying this, but um, it is very stylized the way these reenactments are shot and they're very compelling. But so the reenactments have mm. the thing of the recording? Yeah, that's what mm. I've been telling you. Mm. Okay. Interesting. So anyway, Tom says... I'm curious to look at the, the notes afterwards to see if there's like anything about like written, like if anybody wrote... No, no. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, technically, it's the film is written and directed by, you know, the same person, but that's not implying it's written. It's a docudrama, okay? okay? okay. So anyway, Tom says... After probably half an hour or so, I walked out and I asked, is Dylan here? I haven't seen him. And I just assumed that somebody would let me know when he showed up. Uh, they said, yeah, he's upstairs with Courtney, which I thought was strange. He was supposed to be coming in the house to talk to me, not go upstairs and do a pre-interview with Courtney. Well, in the reenactment with Tom and Dylan, Dylan looking so good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's looking like he's been on one. Yeah. Well, this is the actor, again, praying, portraying Dylan. He says, uh, or Tom says, so there's just been a couple things, you know, that have, you know, been eating at me for the last few weeks, and I want to sit here, and I wanted to talk to you about them. And then he looks over at Dylan there on the couch. He's like, did you shoot up? Dylan, huh? <laughs> did you just shoot up? Yeah. What? Yes. Why did you do that? I told you I was coming up here. I want to have a conversation with you, Dylan. Hmm? <laughs> I mean, he's just nodding. Yeah, he's out. And he's like, I told you we were going to have this conversation. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. You're ready? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. You're not ready. See, th even this is like, sure, Dylan is a junkie, but also he seems to be a junkie at the right times. <laughs> okay. I, it's, the point is, I don't understand how this Dylan character got in the house without Tom seeing him and go upstairs and get shot up with smack with Courtney. That's the thing. If I was a PI, cause he was in the house when it happened. Yeah. Not that he's supposed to assume that Dylan's not just going up to use the bathroom and Courtney's going to junk him up. But you know, I would have grabbed him right when he went, walked in the door. Yeah. Maybe he was in the other room. Who knows? Fuck. Anyway, Grant says, I felt, why would Courtney do this? Well, she knew I had some serious questions to ask Dylan, and she's sending him down to me in a drug state of mind where he could hardly talk. And then back to the recreation, Tom's like, did you check the front door or the back? Did you check the back, the front door or the back? Well, keep in mind, in the recreation, Courtney's sitting in between them, smoking a cigarette in the interview with Dylan. And Dylan's like, yeah, yeah, I did. Which door? Both. Both doors? Did you check the side door? No. You didn't go to the side door? I don't remember. You don't remember? And finally, he just gets frustrated, and he's just like, this is a waste of time. And Dylan just passes out. Okay? So Dylan was a heroin addict, according to Tom. He needed a source for heroin. And once Cobain was dead, 
His hair on sores became Courtney Love. His loyalty became Courtney Love. Well, Max Wallace, writer of Love and Death, says he was very dependent on her. We've since learned that she paid his rent for many, many years, supplied the money for his Ron, and almost everybody around Kurt, they were dependent on Courtney. They were dependent on Courtney's money. Well, back to the reenactment. Tom's just pissed. He's like, this is just a complete waste of time. And Tom says, I felt it was my duty to notify my client, meaning Courtney, that I was starting to dig into some directions that she may not want me to be looking into. But I was determined to do so, and I thought she deserved to know that I was going to do this. She got the message. I'm sure of that. So we see the note letter that Tom wrote to Courtney, and it says, I consider the circumstances surrounding your husband's death to be highly suspicious. My investigation has exposed a number of inconsistencies in the facts of this case. I've decided to continue working on this case until I see it to conclusion without any additional charge. As I pursue the truth regarding the events surrounding your husband's death, your cooperation and assistance will be appreciated, but not required. So this is pretty stern. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And Tom says, I was insinuating that I suspected her of being involved in this. Yeah, yeah, A a few days after the letter was sent, I got a call from Courtney. She wasn't livid. She wasn't even angry. She didn't mention the letter. I basically said, I'm going to continue with my investigation with or without your cooperation. Well, there's another audio recording recording of Tom talking to Courtney. Courtney, I believe you when you tell me that Callie knows something. I mean, I truly believe in my heart. I know he does. That's, that's Tom saying that? No, that's Courtney. Courtney saying that. Talking about Callie DeWitt. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. Callie Reps. Callie yeah, DeWitt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who's a man. Yeah. 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 Callie DeWitt's a man. You know he does. Sure. Courtney. You know, and I don't know what the hell it is. I think that he might have heard the gunshot is what I think. If you're saying April 3rd, I think he might have heard the gunshot. And he was too fucking terrified. Tom. I think he knew Kurt was dead. You know, I'm almost positive he knew Kurt was dead before it came out, before the electrician found him. Oh, gosh, Courtney says. And that's what I want to clarify, Courtney. I hope to hell that he didn't see it. I think he might have heard the gunshot is what I'm thinking. I mean, that's what my gut instinct tells me. Well, Tom says, if I have a copy of the coroner's report and if Callie comes down for a polygraph, this thing will be brought to an end real quick. Courtney, well, I can try. I mean, he likes me. Well, it's up to you. You're the only one that can do it. Nobody else. I can legally do this? Of course. Your attorneys don't have control here. You have control. If you want it released, you can have it released to me. Well, Courtney says, I'm coming to LA on the 17th and I'll bring it to you. I will give it to you from my hand to your hand. And then when, uh, You can do what you want with it. And then you're going to owe me a big fucking apology when this is over, by the way. And Tom says, believe you me, you will get it if I am wrong. Okay, click. Okay. Now, we immediately find out Courtney Love never met with Tom on the (laughs) 17th. Okay. She never gave him the coroner's report. Of course not. Okay. Well, But she did have it. Yeah. She says, I'm going to come and bring it to you. But like it's confirmed that she actually had it. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, Courtney, there's another conversation. Courtney says, I want to know where he was for four days, three days. That's what I want to know. Kurt. Yeah, she's talking about Kurt. 
well, this is Tom. You said you don't think it happened on the third. But I'm saying, and Courtney says, that's what you told me. And I don't believe that anymore. But I asked the coroner, Tom says, I said either the third, which was early morning Monday, uh, or excuse me, uh, that would have been the fourth early morning. I don't believe anybody else saw him after 7.30 Monday morning. And I believe that anybody that says that is lying. Mm. Well, let's back up to March 30th, 1994, nine days before Cobain's body was discovered. So, Mar I, yeah, yeah, okay, March, yeah, yeah, yeah. After, yeah, this is eight days, yeah, nine days before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After a recent burglary, Kurt bought a Remington 11, M11 shotgun, but the shotgun was registered to Dylan's name, okay? Right, right, right. Then he takes a flight to, uh, from Seattle to Los Angeles. He gets into the rehab clinic, okay? And we see Courtney frantically trying to call the rehab center from the Peninsula Hotel. Everybody, every time she calls, they hang up on her. All right. The nanny comes. Um, Frances Bean, his daughter, comes to, to visit. And she's just calling saying, I'm going to fuck somebody up if you don't answer the phone. I want to talk to Kurt. And they just keep hanging up on her. And she even pretends to be uh, his publicist to call. And she's getting nowhere. Well, we later learned she made 13 unanswered calls to Kurt Cobain at the rehab. And Courtney Love told Grant she only made one call that day. Now, here's the bigger thing for me. If she's in L.A. at the peninsula, why call 13 times? Get, go and drive to Marina Del Rey. It's a fucking 20-minute drive. Yeah, literally, peninsula is right there. Yeah, if it's that important, just go see him. Yeah. Okay? Instead, she was hanging out at the peninsula hotel. Fucking running. Yeah. <laughs> running like the devil yeah <laughs> so fucking running we're gonna go to friday april 1st seven days before cobain's body was discovered we see the actor who's portraying kurt cobain um he gets on the phone at the rehab center and is obviously on the phone with uh, a ticketing agent uh with delta and then the next thing we know he's flicking out a cigarette at lax got, jumping on delta flight 788 to seattle and he goes up to Seattle without reuniting with Courtney, who was less than 10 miles away. Now, by himself. Correct. The next day, uh, which is six days before Kurt's body was discovered, super late at night, uh, so just a few hours later, he lands at SeaTac and he's dropped off somewhere between 1.30 uh, a.m. and is then seen sitting at the foot of a bed where another couple is asleep. This is the reenactment we're seeing, and it's 6.05. Well, according to the reenactment uh, and Callie, Kurt was visiting him and his girlfriend, Jessica Hopper, in Callie's bedroom at Kurt's house, okay? Now, the official last time he was ever seen was Saturday, April 2nd. Now, phone records show Courtney speaks to Callie eight times on April 2nd, okay? That's the day he was last seen. Courtney does not reveal Kurt was seen when she hires Tom Grant on April 3rd, okay? So three months after this film was shot, the Seattle PD, they finally developed the death scene photographs. Now, previously, they said they were never gonna right. do this. Some of the photos had been released to the public. However, they have not allowed any 
independent forensic experts the opportunity to examine all of the photos to offer expert opinions on possible evidence contained in the photos. Well, I looked at a bunch of these fit pictures because a lot of them are out. Obviously, none of the above the head stuff is out. Um, you know, uh, the interesting thing that was really weird is that stool they talked about um, that was yeah, in front of the door. Bl- yeah, that was blocking it. It's not a normal stool. Uh-oh. It's it's a stool with like seven legs on it. And there's a little plaque on it that says something to the effect of, you know, this stool's got an extra leg to help you out. It's kind of weird. I never noticed that. Oh, so okay. it's a weird piece of furniture to say huh, the least. But okay. then you see his box, uh, his cigar box. Um, it it was open um, and the syringes there. You see cigarette butts all over the floor. His ID is out with the, uh, on top of the license, which we know the police have testified that they did pull that out and set that there. And there is a bag of shotgun shells at his feet, which is going to be important. And we will talk about that a later. A bag? A bag of shotgun <laughs> shells. So the the stool, uh-huh. he says it, it has seven legs. Yeah, probably eight maybe. Okay. And then there's a top to it, right? Yep. Does it also have a bottom? It just got, it's got a, here's the thing. It's a normal stool, but then there's like three extra legs shooting out at an angle. <laughs> like it's a weird piece of furniture. It's like a gag gift almost. Oh, so like, you, like you're supposed to stick it in your ass. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's just weird looking. Okay. I want to see this now. Actually. All right. Well, uh, I encourage you guys to go look at the stool because I can't believe nobody's ever talked about this funky looking stool. So anyway, uh, it's the 20th anniversary approaching. This is back in 2014. And Detective Mike Sazinski re-examined the case. Um, and basically, he says, you can never really realize what type of conspiracy theorists are going to come out of the woodwork. The amount of heroin that he injected was 10 times what normally anybody would have taken. Now, three times the legal dose does not equal 10 times. So he says, it's just a massive amount of Ron for a... a a heavy Ron user. I, I, ne- I never even realized you said three times the legal dose. No, lethal. Oh, lethal. Okay. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. The, okay. the 1.52 milligrams, that was three times lethal. If lethal, you do 0.52, okay, 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 you're okay. going to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So this new report uh, by the SPD maintained that Kurt's tolerance would have enabled him to inject the amount of heroin found in his system and not killing him, then proceed to kill himself with a gunshot wound to the head. So they're not changing their point of view on this at all. Well, a reporter says Detective Mike Szynski found four rolls of under, underdeveloped, underdeveloped, undeveloped crime scene photos. Two of those photos were released, taken the day his body was found. Well, Szynski says, in hindsight, I think I would have developed the film. And a reporter says, did you find anything different that made you believe it's anything but suicide? And he says, no, nothing. What are people going to gain from seeing pictures of Cobain? How is this going to benefit anybody? It wasn't going to change my decision that this was a suicide. And actually, I'm the one who makes the decision finally. Do we go forward or not? There is never one item that I said definitely that this actually was suicide. But, um, and then it trails off, and we see on the screen, Three months after Detective uh, Szynski's statements, Kathleen O'Toole was confirmed as Seattle's new chief of police. She will be taking over a beleaguered Seattle department 
to, cur to curtail excessive force and biased police ba uh, biased policing. That's dated June 20th, uh, 23rd, 2014 in the Seattle Times. Well, Cyril's back in the case. We haven't seen him for a while. And he says any reexamination should not be participated Do by the, the voice. Any reexamination should not be actively participated in by the Seattle Police Department. To expect them to conduct an objective, detached, unbiased investigation uh, some 20 years later. Hey, man, we blew it. It flies in the face of common sense. The, the Kurt Cobain death demands a reopening uh, by an objective set of experts. And until that is done, then one cannot feel comfortable in saying that Kurt Cobain's death was a clear-cut suicide. Happy? So he's actually like, um, you know, on the side that maybe it, was, it wasn't a suicide. Absolutely. Oh. So Wallace, the writer of Love and Death, says, um, well, here's the thing. The cops are saying it's definitely not a suicide. Cyril's saying there's enough fucking forensic fuck uppery that somebody needs to go in and reopen the case and can't be the SPD. I think he's just being objective based on the fact that there were too many inconsistencies, especially when it comes to the, the, fi the <sighs> fingerprinting on. of the gun that never got done. You know, yeah, covering his own ass. No, he, he doesn't have to cover his own ass. He, but he's Cyril. He, he's, he, he didn't do the he, autopsy. Oh, he didn't? No. Oh, he, he's just a world-famous autopsyist, remember? Oh, he just comes in. Oh, shit. Okay, so I thought this whole time he was the guy doing No, you're this. baked. Eh, yeah. Zip, too. Uh, Zipperoo. All right, so Max Wallace, author of Love and Death, says, for me, the most compelling piece of evidence that convinces me almost to a certainty that Kurt was murdered was the level of Ron in his body. There's never been a documented case in the history of law enforcement where somebody could have had that level of Ron in their body. By the way, it would be hysterical if they all just said Ron. Ron. <laughs> Horse. <laughs> and still remain conscious and still led to a suicide. We talked to an FBI expert, and he said, if you want to get away with murder, you kill a junkie. It's very easy to make a murder look like an accidental overdose or a suicide. It's the perfect crime, and it happens all the time. We know that Kurt and Courtney had a prenup. They were in the process of getting a divorce. This was confirmed. They were divorcing. Now, I think this guy is pushing it when he's saying this. It wasn't confirmed they were getting a divorce. It was confirmed Kurt wanted a divorce, and Courtney knew he wanted a divorce. So again, I'm a little... I don't like it when I'm spoon-fed. Yeah. Uh, an assumption and not a fact. And like, I wonder when you have a prenup also, isn't there usually usually like an, a, an executor anyway? Like she doesn't just get the money. Of course not. Of course not. This would have gone to trial. This would have gone yeah. to court. Anyway, he's, he's, he's in the, adamant. In the, in the case of a death, yeah. And he says he was leaving her. If the divorce had gone through, she would have received a very small settlement uh, because of her prenup. But when he died, she co-inherited um, an estate worth possibly more than how much? Remember over under from was, last? Uh, yeah, time? I, I was going to say, I said. You uh, said under un 500 under, million. Under, under 500 million. Uh, worth more than a billion at the time of oh his death. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's, there's way more people involved than Courtney Love. Okay, so we started the episode. Where was your suspicion meter on foul play? <clears throat> well, 
Give me a percentage. There, oh, 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 I already told you 10% legal. Like 10% he killed himself. Okay. So 90% some sort of foul foul play. Okay. And, and whether it's not whether it's Courtney acting alone, Courtney acting with people, people forcing Courtney. Dude, lots of people think Courtney was some kind of fucking uh operative. Like her dad was in the CIA or some shit like that, something like that. Like that followed around the dead for a long time. The dead, the band? The, yeah, the fucking Grateful Dead. Like I she's not know that. She's like her family was all wrapped up into MK Ultra bullshit. Ah, uh, do you have confirmation on MK Ultra? No, I don't. Okay. So <laughs> So go ahead and check me and then talk shit. Um well Cyril says, no matter what anybody believes. This happened far too quickly for the kinds of things to be accomplished that need to be done in this kind of death investigation. Well, Norm Stamper, he says we should have, in fact, which one's oh Stamper is the police ex police, ex -police chief chief. He says we we should have uh, taken steps to study patterns involved in the behavior of key individuals who had a motive to see Kurt Cobain dead. Well, Cyril says this would be, in fact, a classic example of how an investigation should not be done. All right. Yeah. Well, Norm says if, in fact, bribery was murdered as opposed to committing suicide, it was possible to learn that shame on us for not doing that. That that was, in fact, our responsibility. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, well, Cyril says, should the case be reopened? My answer is unequivocally, unhesitatingly, yes, the case should be reopened. <laughs> well, Norm comes back on and says, it's about right and wrong. It's about honor. It's about ethics. If we didn't get it right the first time, we damn well better get it right the second time. And I would tell you right now that if I were the chief today, I would reopen this investigation. Yeah, but you need new evidence for that, I guess, right? Well, that's how the movie ends. And nice. then we see Cobain's uh, name come up, 1967 to 1994. Huh. And interestingly enough, a quote from my all-time favorite Nirvana song. One more special message to go, and then I'm done, and then I can go home. What's that from? Oh, they're on a plane. Track fucking nine on Nevermind. Cool. Um, now, here's the thing. Normally, I would jump right in and give you um, my docking. Yeah. I'm not going to do that right away. Okay. Because we have a lot of information that we're going to discuss. Okay. Which is probably going to alter my ultimate scoring of the film. Now, okay. I will I don't say like that. that, but okay. Okay, well, you know what? Fuck me. You're right. If I'm just viewing this film, yeah. it's two and a half dockings for me because okay. it's very intriguing. Okay. It's very well shot. Yeah. Um, you know, I know the director got some heat for those reenactments. They're really well done, as I mentioned in the first episode. If <laughs> if they are based on the actual things, I want to go back and see if there's some something on there about uh, these reenactments were written by somebody. They're not. Okay. They're not. Okay. And I talked to um, uh, Jessica, who works on the scripts with us, uh, because I had the question, she had the question, and we both agreed that they are word-for-word -word transcriptions when, um, when we see them. Okay. Because he recorded everything. Okay. And it would be extremely misleading yeah. by the director yeah. if they did that sometimes. 
yeah. and didn't do it sometimes. Yeah. So I'm, okay. I okay. would say I'm like 90% sure. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. We need to discuss the note. Okay. Okay. So two and a half dockings. Not bad. Dude, here's the thing, man. There's a lot of brilliant two and a half star movies that I go sure. to. Yeah. But I'm a critical grader and I don't grave on a curve. And it's out of four. And it's only out of four. Yeah. So two and a half is a decent film it in is. my mind. Three is a very good film. Four is an exceptional film. What what did you give the uh the fucking the people who did the the tabletop fucking the plates with the, the plates with the tops? What uh, are you talking what, about? What was the one we did where like people made like extravagant Oh, uh, set? Yeah. Probably two and a half. I feel like it was higher than that. No. <laughs> I think it what was about, two. No, the bird one. What about the, the, the chickens? The chickens? Probably two and a half. Uh, I think it was higher than that. Okay. No, no. I mean, okay. like, you know my... Sp- what, what got a four recently from you? Searching for Sugar Man. Oh, yeah. That yeah, was yeah, a yeah, definite yeah, four, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. We need to talk about the note. Before we okay. can talk about the note, we need to know what the note says. Okay. Okay. So the note was written and titled, uh, I should say addressed to, even though it wasn't in an envelope, it was addressed to Boda. Do you know who Boda is? No. That that was Kurt's imaginary friend from a child. Oh, boy. Okay. But what I want you to do is listen to this note. What's Boda backwards? Uh, Hadab. The point is this. When you listen to this, not just you, but our listeners, is this a suicide note until the last four lines? And I'll obviously make the distinction in between those. No, just, just read the whole thing all yeah. the way through first. Okay. To Boda. Speaking from the tongue of an experienced simpleton who obviously would rather be an emasculated, infantile complainy, this note should be pretty easy to understand. All the warnings from the Punk Rock 101 courses over the years since my first introduction to the, shall we say, ethics involved with independence and the embracement of your community has proven to be very true. I haven't felt the excitement of listening to as well as creating music along with reading and writing for too many years now. I feel guilty beyond words about these things. For example, when we're backstage and the lights go out and the manic roar of the crowd begins, It doesn't affect me in the way in which it did for Freddie Mercury, who seemed to love, relish in the love and adoration from the crowd, which is something I totally admire and envy. The fact is, I can't fool you, any one of you. It simply isn't fair for you or me. The worst crime I can think of would be to rip people off by faking it and pretending as if I'm having 100% fun. Sometimes I feel as if I should have a punch-in time clock before I walk onto stage. I've tried everything within my power to appreciate it and do. God believe me, I do, but it's not enough. I appreciate the fact that I and we have affected and entertained a lot of people. It must be, I must be one of those narcissists who only appreciates things when they're gone. I'm too sensitive. I need to be slightly numb in order to regain the enthusiasms I once had as a child. On our last three tours, I've had a much better appreciation for all the people I've known personally and as fans of our music, but I still can't get over the frustration, the guilt, and empathy I have for everyone. There's good in all of us, 
And I think I simply love people too much, so much that it makes me feel too fucking sad. That sad little sensitive, unappreciative Pisces. Jesus, man, why don't you just enjoy it? I don't know. I have a goddess of a wife who sweats ambition and empathy and a daughter who reminds me too much of what I used to be, full of love and joy, kissing every person she meets because everyone is good and will do her no harm. And that terrifies me to the point to where I can barely function. I can't stand the thought of Francis becoming the miserable, self-destructive death rocker that I've become. I have it good, very good, and I'm grateful. But since the age of seven, I've been hateful towards all humans in general. Only because it seems so easy for people to get along that have empathy. Only because I love and feel sorry for people too much, I guess. Thank you all from the pit of my burning, nauseous stomach for your letters and concern during the past years. I'm too much of an erratic, moody baby. I don't have the passion anymore. And so remember, it's better to burn out than to fade away. Peace, love, empathy, Kurt Cobain. Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis. For her life, which will be so much happier without me. I love you. I love you. Uh, which one's Francis again? His baby. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> you, you know what that sounds like to me? What? You know what I'm going to say. No, that's why I'm... That's a government... That's a government shill. <laughs> okay, that's a government shill for what purpose? That's Kurt Cobain. Yep. Sold his soul to the devil. Uh-huh. And did whatever the government or the industry. What? Because the government said this, uh, this wacky music you guys are doing. Hold on. This wacky music you're putting out is bad for our children. So he sold his soul and took some money and quit music. Is that what you're saying? I feel like he's saying here that he may not even written half the stuff that he's saying. Like in the letter or the music in the letter. Okay. So, do you find the point of the last four lines differentiating from the top piece? So re- read the last four lines again. The last four lines are Kurt, or excuse me, Francis and Courtney. I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis, for her life, which will be so much happier without me. I love you. I love you. Now keep in mind, those four lines are not in the same font. Yeah. And size that the rest of the letter are in. Yeah. They're the bigger portions that presumably, presumably, were traced according but, but to... But also still in his handwriting, possibly. Correct. The point is here is that people have said it's not a suicide letter. It's a I'm leaving the business letter. And the last four lines are the suicide portion, which that, could have been added to the letter. note. Right. So I just wanted to know if it sounds like that when you hear it, especially our listeners. Let us know what you think. Yeah, that's I, for get, sure. I, get, I get a little bit of that. Well, um, then they had the, the funeral. And remember... She didn't show. She didn't show. She claimed she was laying on the bed. And of course, Tom is saying, you know, that was the bed that you said was that Kurt was on the night before. Something to that effect. It was all wrinkled. Why did I find it straightened up? So Tom's still grilling her on that. Anyway, when... 
Courtney read the letter. She interrupted a few times. You know, she was like, you know, why fucking do this, Kurt? Just, why didn't you just quit being a rocker? You could have just given up. Uh, you're such an asshole. And one, one point of the, the speech, because I rewatched it, she instructs the crowds, I want you all to yell asshole. And they're like, asshole. <laughs> it doesn't get the big asshole that she wanted. Yeah, we're not roasting <laughs> Brody Stevens here. <laughs> but uh, she says, I want you to say it out loud. He's such an asshole. But anyway, she kind of goes in and out and she says, you, you guys do deserve to hear this because it's addressed to you, but um, you're not going to hear the shit that's for me. And that was the stuff at the bottom that she kept private. Okay. So um, they do, I did find out that she went back to the memorial altar, wherever this place was in Seattle. And I'd forgotten this, but there was video of her maybe a day later, two days later, and she was crying profusely she definitely toned down her anger, but a lot of people look at what she did in uh, the vigil thing and said that, oh, she had to have killed him because she was such a bitch. Well, anger, as we know, is one of the most common reactions to uh, a major death, and people obviously grieve in different ways. So I think the press latched on to uh, the um, fuck you, you know, that she put in when she uh, read that stuff over the radio, too. Um, so what happened when he was seven? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? He doesn't get into it. Um, there are some things that we need to discuss before forming our opinion as to uh, is this uh, a suey or is this a murder? Because there are some things this documentary got wrong. Well, prior to the release of the docudrama, uh, there was a cold case homicide detective that was in the film, Michael Szyzynski. Um, and he was instructed to look at the photographs. Um, and as part of the reexamination, uh, the SPD, like I mentioned, they released these pictures in 2014. Now, the movie came out in 2015, okay? Well, Szyzynski told a local TV network, the new work on the case turned up nothing to make me think that Cobain's death was anything besides a suicide. But they issued images of the Remington shotgun that were released in March of 2016, which refuted the claim in this film that the SPD gave Courtney Love the shotgun so she could melt it down. Okay? That's a pretty big inconsistency in my mind. Now, is it possible they could have taken those pictures from the day of the, or the week of the suicide and re-released them in 2016 to make it look different? No, I thought about that. They clearly show a newer uh, contemporary picture of a person from 2016 holding the gun. So, so you don't just see the gun. You see a person holding the, the gun. <clears throat> okay, but when is that picture taken? 2016. So the... The gun is still alive. <laughs> yes, SPD still has the gun. Contrary to what these documentarians saying that the police gave it back to her and she melted it down. And, and we have the serial numbers matching and everything? I would assume if they're going to release that information, they went as far as to fucking match the serial numbers from the purchase at the store. Otherwise, they're going to look like complete shit. Man, so, maybe, maybe they had to. Maybe they're like, ah, wow. Mm, yes. Interesting. Because that's also, 
I feel like I feel like shit like that, like you know, uh, getting a gun melted down, part of like part of a murder. I feel like that should take way longer than a week. The point is this. However long this, uh, the gun comes out in March 2016. The movie comes out in 2015. So they had their facts wrong. Okay. And the SPD is obviously throwing this in their face saying, how can this movie be taken seriously if you don't even have your facts right that the gun was melted down? We have the gun right here. Let's move on from the gun. Huh. Uh, June 17, 2015, Deadline Hollywood and Stereo Gum reported that Courtney Love had indeed sent a cease and desist letter against theaters showing Soaked in Bleach. Um, she claimed a false accusation of criminal behavior that was uh, defamatory, which entitles Cobain uh, to both actual and presumed damages. The letter also stated, we hereby demand again that you immediately cease any and all plans of exhibition or promotion for the film. If we don't hear with you in five days, we are required to immediately pursue all available civil legal remedies on behalf of our client against you. Well, nothing ever became of it, okay? Producers never got anything more than a cease and desist, okay? That's pretty awkward. Uh, why make the threat if you're not going to follow through with it? Oh, it's cheaper. Well, a lot of people point to it would open a, a Courtney... To discovery. Correct. And maybe that's why it's all bar, bark and no bite. Um, bar to none. <laughs> remember John Fist, the paramedic? Yep. Who was on scene? The first one. Yep. He uh not so, the not the electrician, but the first the paramedic par on yeah, the scene. The first medic. Well, he gave an interview to the Mercer Island reporter on April 6, 2016, stating that he reiterated to the soaked and bleach producers that he still believes the case was a suicide. Well, on John uh June 27, 2016, remember old Vernon J. Uh, Gaberth? Man who wrote the book on what to do if you find a dead body. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm for, excited for idiots. Former NYPD uh, detective. Uh, he posted an article on his practical homicide investigation website and Facebook page stating he was not happy that the producers of Soaked in Bleach made it appear that he agreed with their homicide theory. He stated further that he made it quite clear he believed Kurt Cobain took his own life and backed up his opinion with the facts that he had obtained from the SPD homicide division, coupled with his own experiences with suicide cases. And there's also Carol uh, Chasky. She was the linguist, the uh, forensic linguist. Um, she agreed with the official suicide verdict. Um, she was one of the experts, as you recall, in Soaked in Bleach. Well, on October 9th, 2017, she was interviewed at the NBC News affiliate House of Mystery radio show, stating that her results do not support the conspiracy theory that Courtney Love authored the bottom portion of the suicide note. She ran Kurt Cobain's suicide note through a computational software called Snare, mm. which is an oh, yeah. acronym. You know about Snare? Yeah, it's like a yeah, it's like an algorithm that checks uh, handwriting. Yeah, it's it's called the suicide note assessment review. Oh, and it was classified as a suicide note: the top portion and the bottom portion. Well, hmm. there have been new clues, Dave. 
regarding the suicide uh, that have come to light. This is courtesy of Greg Fisher from CBS News. This was dated April 28, 2014. Well, remember old uh, um, the, yeah. the veteran 20-year homicide guy uh, who reopened the cold case investigation? He yeah. reported a new clue that was previously not known to the press. Um, and this was due to the development of the film. Uh, a part of uh, the, uh, the review, he found that inside the bag of shotgun shells, um, there was a receipt uh, for the shells that was for $6.95, which was dated the 2nd of, Mar- of April, 1994. Um, on the box of the 20-gauge ammunition, uh, there's a price sticker from Seattle Guns. Well, the sales re- receipt, that had never been disclosed by SPD. So the way it worked out is in the report, there was a taxi cab that had picked up a mail from the Cobain residence on the morning of 4-2-94, same date that those shells were purchased. The mail advised the cab driver that he wanted to find a place to buy some bullets because uh, his home had been recently burglarized. The cab driver dropped this person off in the area of 145th and Aurora. Well, in the report, Szynski explains Seattle Guns was located just south of 145th and Aurora. So it's det- his determination that Cobain was the purchaser of these shells within one or two days of his death, which appears to suggest a person planning suicide, okay? More than it might be a coincidence of Cobain buying the shells, uh, it's more likely than a conspirator ultimately used to kill him in a staged or planned suicide. And the SPD believed it was Cobain who took that cab and that he killed himself with a shotgun later that day or the following day. But again, they weren't able to pinpoint the precise time of death uh, due to the composition of the body. They can get close, but you know, I've like I've never heard of a bag of shotgun shells. Well, it was a box of shells that was in a bag, Uh, but the receipt was in there with that date on it. mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I I understand the point and I understand the significance of you know would somebody that yeah. have, would have shot him, gone and bought the bullets that day, that doesn't show a lot of planning, you know? Right. They probably would have already had the gun or the bullets, and more importantly, they would have been untraceable if it was somebody that had planned it. Of course, you could say they were planted on him. Do, uh, do shotgun shells have serial numbers on them also? No, no, mm-hmm. no. But you could still check the forensics to fi- to determine that the 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 shell was fired from the gun. Yeah. Um, it was also reported in Crime Cider that, you know, 30 of these never before seen photos uh, had finally come to light. And Szynski uh, says, as a homicide detective, I have an obligation to preserve evidence that I believe may lose its value due to decay. He explains in the report to justify his decision to develop the film. Now, now that's pretty flimsy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you can't take a picture of a picture. 
Do you know what I mean? You're, you're worried about the actual evidence degrading. That's kind of bullshit in my eyes. Uh, he does note that his review of the new newly developed 35 millimeter films indicate that a spent yellow shell casing lying on a coat at the right side of the photo, meaning Cobain's left arm. Right. Um, he says, I was aware that for the casing to have landed to the victim's left, the weapon would have to have been turned around 180 degrees from where it was found. So they do acknowledge that, yeah. that this is inconsistent right. with the shell casing. They're not trying to blame it on what I would think is so obvious that his arm that pulled the trigger, it could yeah. have bounced off that. He says the detective explains that he consulted with an SPD range armor an expert in maintaining uh, and operating firearms showing him, he basically showed the picture of Cobain, how he was found holding the weapon, but he didn't say who the person was. Well, the armorer concluded that the fired round would have, would have ejected in the direction where it was found, and the second round probably malfunctioned due to the victim holding the barrel. The weapon probably pivoted when fired and fell to the present position. Well, right. this is interesting because <laughs> yeah, they never mentioned the second shell. <clears throat> that's what I was thinking. Or like him grabbing it. Like if somebody was pointing it in his face and he, gra him grabbing the barrel even made, made it. I wonder if there were like burn marks on his hand or something. The, uh, yeah. We'll get to the fingerprints because that's oh, yeah, coming later. Show, yeah. I mean, that's coming later. Um, but obviously conspiracy theorists have long questioned why the ejected shell casing was found uh, to the left of his arm. Yeah. Um, they also released a, uh, a picture of Cobain's left arm that had never been released uh, by SPD. And the Remington 20-gauge shotgun was lying on the victim's chest with the receiver facing up. If the receiver was facing up then in that position, the shell would have ejected in the direction of Cobain's arm rather than to his left. Right. So again, this is, I hate to say the smoking gun. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But it, that's it's the it's evidence sketchy. people keep going back to. Well, yeah. Sosinski's review, according to the report, included examining the case file from SPD Records Vault, all of the remaining evidence from SPD evidence, photographs of the death scene, autopsy report, and toxicology report, as well as interviews with the chief ME and one of the original case detectives who is now retired. In addition, Szynski, who says in the report he knew very little about Cobain or his band Nirvana at the time of Cobain's death, also explains he read numerous articles and watched several documentaries on the death of Kurt Cobain. The report also summarizes previously released information from the Emmy's autopsy, although the actual autopsy report has never been made public per Washington state law. So why are they withholding this? If they just let the autopsy go out, it looks a lot less incriminating towards the department. Well, a spokesperson for the King County ME explained to Crime Cider that Washington law also restricts the ME from commenting on autopsy reports. The fact that the autopsy report has never been released and publicly examined by independent experts is another reason that of course, conspiracy theorists question the manner of death. But wait, <coughs> are you ready for the bombshell of all bombshells? Let's hear it, baby. 
Did you know there was a second note? Not the third, not the third Rome and note that was burned. Not the, the not, note not the we read. Yeah. There's another note. This I just found out. Yeah. How do they leave this out? Well, this was released in 2014 when they released the updated 20th anniversary of the report. Oh. Police revealed there was a note Cobain had left in his wallet that was found on him at the time of the death. The note was written on stationary paper from a San Francisco hotel called the Phoenix. It reads, do you, Kurt Cobain, take Courtney Michelle Love to be your lawful shredded wife even when she's a bitch with zits and siphoning your money for doping and whoring. That's fucking wild, bro. I mean, it sounds like some like rock and roll uh, vows, sort of. That's what that's what the, everybody likens it to. Yeah, but um, there's some animosity in there. Sure, you know what I mean. Sure, he's calling her a dope whore that's covered in zits and taking yeah. all of his fucking money. Well, this handwriting appears to a layperson remarkably similar if the sentiments are not. The wallet note referring to love as a bitch, siphoning money, etc., is in stark contrast, of course, to the note that we know where he refers to her as a goddess who sweats ambition and empathy. Um, and the, the hotel stationery, the Phoenix Hotel, uh, that's in the Tenderloin District in San Francisco. And it's known as a, or had been known as a place with a gritty reputation. Yeah, the, the drug use. Yeah, but it was popular. Crack in, in the, front of uh, mm -hmm. Starbucks. It offered their clientele more than a little edge. Um, are you time? For, are you ready for the where are they nows? Uh, <laughs> I mean, we know where some of them are, but sure. Tell us. Let's start with uh, uh, Michael Cowley DeWitt, as a, not Cowley Ribs. Which, Cal one, which one's that? That's the male nanny. Okay. So he's still alive. Um, so he, as we know, he was in Hole, the band, left, worked as a nanny for Francis Bean. And um, I did not know this. He appears in drag on the actual CD of Nirvana's In Utero. Hmm. That was news to me. Well, he moves back to L.A. and he started working in A&R at Geffen Records. Keep in mind that was that was their label, Geffen. Yeah, um, my cousin worked for Geffen for a while. I should say they were Geffen, but previous to that, they were Sub Pop when they recorded Bleach. Mm. Um, he worked at an LA music venue called Jabberjaw. Uh, he co-founded the label Teenage Teardrops in 2006, and in 2008, Dewitt and David Kramer opened an art gallery in Echo Park called Hope Gallery. Um, for the 2015 LA book fair, DeWitt made a large mural with the text crying at the orgy and an addition with printed matter called adult books. When did Obama run for president? 2008. Yes. Hope. And it was his thing also. Yeah, okay. it was. It was. All right. More government. Uh, in 2016, he created the merchandise for Kanye West, the life of Pablo tour. Um, he'd also cool. directed a, a, a fair amount of music videos. Nice. So, of course, the last uh, Courtney had heard at the time he disappeared was he went to rehab, or but she couldn't remember where, maybe L.A. Well, remember old uh, Sleepy Sleeps, Dylan Carlson? Yep. Uh, he's alive. So he didn't OD. They so always that's, are. 
That's good to know. He was in a, um, he was the founder of a drone metal post rock group called Earth and drone metal? Drone metal post rock. What is that? I don't know. I don't know what fucking drone metal is. I don't even know what post rock is. Um, but he was also the main contributor to his solo project titled Dr. Carlson Albion. Um, so again, he was childhood friend of Kurt, um, was, had the same influences. He also cites the Melvins, um, composers, law, Monty Young and Terry Riley as major influences. Um, he, he had done sonic collages with, uh, his then roommate, Kurt Cobain from 1991 to 96 earth had a revolving lineup and Carlson attributes a lack of full length studio album record, uh, recordings due to legal and drug problems. He did write a book called heavier than heaven, um, and asserted that in bloom, was a thinly disguised portrait of himself. Um, he now lives in recovery of heroin addiction. Um, he survived a rare form of hep B and liver failure. Mm. Uh, he's been married to his fellow earth drummer, Adrian Davies for uh, a, a long time. Apparently the gay. No, Adrian, I think is a woman. Okay. Davies still, uh, remains in the band. Oh, but they broke up. Oh, so, um, he, mar- he married a London-born artist and belly dancer uh, and performer nice. named Holly. Um, so that's kind of it with uh, him. I'm just glad he's not dead. So no mention of Dave Grohl throughout this whole time. Here's the thing. We're gonna talk- I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this because I watched some videos because they didn't discuss this. There was a... Uh, Dave and... Once Kurt was dead, there was an LLC formed between... It was called Nirvana LLC, I believe. And it was Kurt, Francis Bean, Dave Grohl, and Chris Novoselic. So there was court cases that Grohl had brought against Courtney. There was a very famous incident where she was at a concert playing with Hole, and somebody held up a Kurt Cobain sign. And she said, take that fucking sign down or I'm going to stop playing. And then she walks off stage. And then... I'm not sure who it was in the band. He walks out and he says, do y'all want Courtney to come back? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And he says, then repeat after me, Dave Grohl is gay. And they're like, Dave Grohl's gay. Dave Grohl's gay. And then Shame walk. she comes back out and she goes, listen, man, I don't want to fucking look at that sign of Kurt. I have to live with his kid every day, which is weird because she refers to Francis Bean as his kid and then makes her sound like a piece of shit mother. And then she goes on to say, I just want what's right. And Dave was trying to steal money from me and I'm going to protect my kid and you can't try and steal money. Now, to my knowledge, they've patched everything up and there's no animosity between Kurt or uh, Chris, um, uh, Dave and Courtney. Was Dave the original drummer? No chat. It was, Oh, yeah, you said Chad. That's Chad right. Channing, and there was another guy. But, f- like, for m- most of it, it was... Oh, yeah, yeah. He, was, he, dr- he drummed on Nevermind and In Utero. I, th- I don't recall if he did on Bleach. Yeah. Um, now, we do need to discuss Kristen Pfaff. Who's that? Kristen Pfaff, as you recall, died two months after Cobain. 
Oh, and she oh, was yeah, the yeah. bassist <laughs> yeah. in Hole. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, Kristen died of a smack Ron OD as well. Now, backing up, it's important to remember she wasn't the original bassist in Hole. Eric Erlinson was the guitarist. He was with Courtney. There were several incarnations of this band over the years. But when they brought um, Faf in, she added a lot of texture to the music and they were all really excited about her. But from reports from Love and Death, it seems that Courtney was very jealous of Kristen Faf. And uh, it's, it's documented that Faf um, gave uh, Cobain books. They were friendly. Um, there are some conspiracies or rumors that Kurt did want to leave Courtney and go with Faf. But after Kurt died, she immediately quit heroin. Okay. She also left whole at the same time. They mm-hmm. don't, I, I wasn't able to find out if she was fired or if she left. So she'd gone back to Minnesota, gotten cleaned up. Okay. Um, but had all of her belongings in Seattle. Well, originally there was going to be a, a bodyguard that was going to go with her, like a you know what do, you, what do they call them? Sober buddies to yeah. keep her off the smack. Yeah, like the AA <laughs> yeah, sponsor. Yeah, yeah. So she ends up taking out a friend. Uh, I forget his name, but they load all of her stuff in a truck. He sleeps in the U-Haul. Okay, the night before they leave. Well, Eric Erlinson, the guitarist from Hole used to date Faf while they were in Hole, he went over to her apartment that night and supposedly gave her some black Ron. And she had um, taken the heroin. And then her friend who was sleeping in the U-Haul, he'd come back up and walked into the house and heard that she was in the bathroom, presumably um, taking a bath. And then just went back outside to sleep, comes up the next day and uh, discovers her dead. So then they call the uh, ambulance. They can't revive her and she passes away. Now, again, what year is that? This is two months after Kurt died. Okay. okay, 94. But there are a lot of people that have suggested Eric Erlinson was put up to it by Courtney to give her the heroin. Now, a lot of people say, was it an overdose? A hot, shot. a hot shot? Yes. Or was it her taking a dose that she'd normally been used to taking, but yeah. because she'd been clean for so long? Yeah, Greg Geraldo. It was enough to kill her. Exactly. So um, there is some interesting crossover. There, Her death didn't receive much attention at the time because the um, Detective Terry who was one of the narcotics officers that was listed in the Cobain police report, he pulled over to the side of the road to help two injured motorists who he thought were injured. They were criminals, and they killed him and murdered him. Now, this happened the same week that Kristen Pfaff died. So a lot of people didn't hear about this because it was the first time a police officer died in like seven years in, in either Seattle wow. or the state of Washington. But were they bikers? I, we don't, I don't know. I don't have that information, but um, Eric Erlinson did go on record and I, I'm not direct quoting here, but he said something to the effect of, I did a lot of things that led to people dying. Okay. 
So there's people out there saying if that's a veiled admission to him giving Faf the drugs, technically there's no statute of limitations on that and he could be prosecuted. Um, <coughs> let's, uh, Kristen Faf, by the way, extremely talented woman. Uh, she was in a band called Janitor Joe that was out of Minneapolis. They had some some you know they were they weren't stars but they had some uh, they they had a, a, a strong fan base. Um, so let's get to Tom Grant. Um, I started off at his Twitter, and he only follows one person. Courtney Love. That's what I thought it was going to be. I was like, that would be like the ultimate signal. Like I ain't giving up. It's a guy named White uh, Mike Winger. Um, and I went on his account. He says, I'm a pastor who has special interest in reasonable and intelligent answers to tough questions about Christianity. Well, Tom doesn't tweet a whole lot. Um, there is a link on his Twitter to something called CobainCase.com. And I went to the website and he describes himself and how he initially met Courtney and how he doesn't believe, you know, um, Kurt killed himself. Um, he specifically references, you know, Callie and all the inconsistencies in Courtney's statements. And one thing that he uh, said that really jumped out at me, he was like, here's the thing. If Courtney is innocent, all she has to do is sue me for illegally taping her. Okay? But... To this day, she's never brought a lawsuit against Tom. She threatened him with one, but never did. Um, and he's very proud of the fact that he's never, ever been, you know. So who owns, does she still own the rights to all the music? Yeah. Well, her, Francis, and the uh, Nirvana LLC group, which I believe is Chris Novoselic and Dave Grohl. So I don't know what the exact divvy up is, you know, between them all. A couple things that Tom really points out that are suspicious besides things we've already talked about. He talks about the credit card usage. Um, Kurt's cards were used um, and they stopped being used the day his body was discovered. So he finds that timing very suspicious. Uh, he also claims that the shotgun at the scene was purchased before Cobain left for rehab, not after rehab, which was reported by media th- authorities. He also points to the fact the shotgun was fully loaded with three shells. It was purchased and loaded for protection, not suicide. Now, I don't buy this. I don't think it matters if there's three bullets or one shell in the chamber. That doesn't bother me at all. Well, he does claim the police said there were no um, legible fingerprints on the shotgun. Well, his assertion is the shotgun wasn't even checked for fingerprints until May 6, nearly one month after Cobain's body was found. He claims the note was not a suicide note, um, basically was the way we discussed it. Um, And then... He says this note was clearly written to Cobain's fans and that it was him saying, I'm quitting the music business. There was the short footnote from, to Courtney and Francis. Uh, he says, handwriting experts 
uh, continue to question those. He also claims the, the secret note uh, that Courtney had from Rome and says Courtney was in possession of the second note uh, after Kurt's body was found. She didn't tell anyone about the second note until several months later when information about it slipped out during an interview with Rolling Stone magazine. That she gave. Mm-hmm. He claims the second note, the one that Courtney kept in secret, clearly defines the first note, which was found at the scene of Cobain's death. The second note from Kurt plainly states he was leaving Kurt Courtney and he was leaving Seattle. He was not planning on leaving the planet. Well, he continues to go <sighs> on about the morphine thing. Um, morphine? Well, he, he had some parentheses heroin. He's, he reiterates it would have been impossible. Again, I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, again, if we go to the fact that if he got that 1.52 milligrams into one syringe and not had to separate multiple needles, I think it's possible. Um, he also mentions that why would he do this to his daughter if the heroin would have done the job? You know, again, that's conjecture in my opinion. Because uh, he's like, he could have just gone to sleep, you know, and never wake up. Um, he does go on about the barricading situation um, and the stool. He documents that, which was supposedly wedged against the door, was not. It was just in front of the two unlocked doors that led out to the balcony. And uh, he just basically says that the verdict was a rush to judgment, you know, and um, it painted the authorities into a corner as the reports of the so-called copycat suicides began making news. Uh, he goes on a lengthy, lengthy description of what a conspiracy is. And this is interesting. He's obviously very passionate about this, but at some point you need to make a call. Is he doing this for the recognition? Is he doing this for the money? You got to remember, PIs, it's a tough job. <clears throat> Yeah, Maybe I mean, he got the phone call of his life that day and said, this is my meal ticket to getting out of leather ass and, and humping the streets of fucking Hollywood for the rest of my life. Yeah. It, it's but, possible. But even then, like, how much are you really going to make? We're going to get to that. Oh, okay. I'm glad you asked. If you would like his personal consulting fees, they are listed on his website. Oh, yeah. Standard fees apply for professional consulting by telephone. You may discuss and ask Mr. Grant questions about the Cobain case or receive advice and guidance on your own private case, such as locating and reuniting loved ones with their birth parents and adoptees. <laughs> That's nice. So he'll talk to you on the phone for five, for, for no, five grand. For a half hours, 45 bucks, an hour oh. is 90. Two hours, he'll do 180. Um, Doggy, we should just like, we should like have him on the phone with us and talk about this a little bit. But we need to go fund me just to get that money. I'll pay 45 bucks for 30 minutes. Um, so the other thing is um, he's got a timeline of events on his page. Okay. And there's a couple things that jumped out at me. He says in a recently released book, Cobain, by the editors of Rolling Stone, Neil Strauss writes regarding the Rome event, Gold Mountain, which was Nirvana's management company, still denies that a suicide attempt was made. A note was found, says a company spokesman, but Kurt insisted it wasn't a suicide note. He just took all of his and Courtney's money 
and was going to run away and disappear. And again, people go back to that second plane ticket. There was two tickets purchased. Could it have been Kristen Pfaff? It's possible. Um, well, and then this, this article says, now if Kurt was lying, Courtney could simply release the note from Rome to the public and it would prove she's telling the truth. Uh, and it would prove Kurt did try to commit suicide in Rome. But of course, the problem is on January 19th, 1995, during a tape recorded telephone conversation, Courtney told me that when the police returned the, uh, the note from Rome, the, uh, Sergeant Cameron said, this will never do you any good. I'd get rid of this if I were you. So why is the sergeant in charge of the investigative uh, into the suicide saying, go burn this note? Yeah, because the, everybody knows that the police were in on it probably. Well, being, I mean, here we go again. It's easy to get a conspiracy of one It's easy or two, three. You're talking about a police department? But like when it happens from the top down and, and you have compartmentalize this shit and not everybody knows everything it's very easy to do it's not that difficult i'll give you this much remember to uh, detective terry yes who died the same week faf did well yeah according to tom and by the way he has audio uh files on his website you can listen to does. for free that are recordings he claims that courtney told him that she had used Detective Terry to get a drug dealer busted. The fact that Courtney often brought, uh, bought her own drugs from the same dealer is a side issue. What's important to note is that Courtney had a personal friendship with this nar narcotics detective. And she had made calls from his phone to Detective Terry. Um, so... You know, Detective Terry, she's calling him, and then he happens to die by two weirdos that, you know, the same week Faf was found. That's that's a little uh, interesting. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, again, things that don't look good in Tom's situation. He has the original Cobain case study manual available for purchase for 1095 on his website. Is it a book? It's, like, it's a thick manual. It's, I think, everything that he's ever, all the work he's ever put yeah. onto it. It is kind of fun to go on his website and listen to some of these recordings if you want to go deeper. Yeah, I might check it out. Uh, if you want to help form your opinion. Uh, Rosemary Carroll, couldn't find much about her. Which one was she again? Oh, she's the, the she's attorney. She's the attorney, but her husband at the time was Danny Goldberg. What's, I wonder what her last, oh, never mind. Well, Goldberg wrote a book in 2019 called Serving the Servant, Remembering Kurt Cobain. And I found an interview he did with Loudwire magazine titled Nirvana's former manager denies Kurt Cobain murder theories. People are in pain. This was written by Lauren Schaffner in April 23rd of 2019. And she says, Goldberg was recently asked about conspiracy theories surrounding Cobain's passing at an LA book signing. He did it at Book Soup on Sunset. And he denies the theory that the singer was murdered saying that the idea is entertained because people are, quote, in pain, unquote. Goldberg reflected upon the first time he met Tom Grant, saying, I met Grant once, and once was enough. He gave me reasons about why he thought this was very suspicious, and I said to him, don't you think the Seattle Police Department would investigate this? 
it's kind of front page news, and they're under a lot of scrutiny. Uh, Goldberg continues recalling Grant's accusation of police departments being corrupt, implying that Cobain's widow, Courtney Love, was involved with the police. And he says, I don't think they would have let her into a police station in those days. <laughs> Jokingly, of course. Yeah, unless you got $500 million behind you. Uh, well, again, there's a lot of money. He says, I just feel that was enough for me. And combined with having seen him the week before, knowing the condition he was in, and I know Chris Novoselic shares this view. It's just my unalterable opinion, he affirms. People are in pain. There is no answer to why some people kill themselves and others don't. You can't always do something. But I understand that people who are at a distance and in pain look for explanations and are vulnerable to bullshit artists. Well, Grant gathered a lot of seemingly suspicious evidence and accounts from people who knew Cobain and Love to build a narrative in the movie Soaked in Bleach. One of those people was Rosemary Carroll, um, which is his ex-wife. Yeah. And he says, in the film, there are tapes of recorded conversations between Carroll and Grant in which Carroll tells him she found what appeared to be a handwritten template of Cobain's penmanship in Love's Purse. Grant used these tapes to raise the assumption that Love wrote the last few lines of the note. Well, he says, I attribute that to Grant being a liar who taped her without knowing it and then edited the tape in a way to alter her feelings. She has never said anything publicly to agree with him. Right. But he took these edited tapes and put them on the internet and people believe that that's her view. It's part of Tom Grant's conspiracy theory. Now, here's the thing. Wow. I don't give a fuck how hard you edit the tapes. You can't take the tone out of this woman's voice. And when you hear her, she sounds extremely suspicious of love. So there's more. In this YouTube video that was posted online, there was a comment this YouTube video is, is him speaking at the Book Soup Talk event. Okay, 2019? <laughs> 2019. There is a comment on YouTube posted by a user named Tom Grant. <laughs> he says, Danny... Imagine, imagine it's fucking unique. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to get that reference. <laughs> he says, Danny, you are making a complete fool of yourself. You know you just fabricated our conversation and that it ended with me asking you to leave because you would not answer my simple questions. You also know Rosemary's comments were not taken out of context. Rosemary made it clear, as evidenced by our tape-recorded conversations, that she believed the so-called suicide note was not written by Kurt. She repeated that belief to me months after Kurt's death. So if your wife, who was also Kurt and Courtney's personal entertainment attorney, believed that... The only logical conclusion was that she had to believe Kurt was murdered. Otherwise, why would someone else write the note? Rosemary also told me over and over that Kurt was not suicidal. The bottom line is this. If you say what is true, why haven't you and Rosemary filed charges against me for illegally tape recording the phone calls between Rosemary and me? The answer is simple. If you did... I would face criminal charges, but at the same time, Rosemary would for face a deposition where the truth would come out. So here's a simple offer. You and I, Rosemary and I, or both of you, Rosemary and I, 
can put together a public hearing or roundtable, which would be videotaped. We could address any and all questions about Kurt Cobain's death. Your slanderous claims that I am a liar and the tape recording conversations with Rosemary were taken out of context. I've been totally honest and have nothing to fear. If you're, to- if you're being totally honest, the only thing you have to fear is the exposure of your lies. Feel free to well, contact in jail, me. probably. Yes. <clears throat> Feel free to contact me at TomGrantPI at Yahoo.com. Danny, let's do it. So uh, I went and read the comments. I would say it's 99% pro Tom Grant. Now, again, this yeah. is the internet. Yeah. This is where you tug on a string, you go well, down yeah. the rabbit hole. <laughs> and it's the one, you know, it's the, you know, again, with a lot of these documentaries, man, like fucking, I always go back to the QAnon one. It's like, nobody makes a QAnon video. Like, you talk about the HBO one, the, the HBO, four part? The, the, the Netflix one. Oh, like, okay. Nobody makes a QAnon documentary like a year after it happens like (laughs) unless you're trying to like push a certain type of agenda of course like these things like good documentarians so you believe in QAnon (laughs) you believe the code no I I just think that QAnon no I don't think Code Monkey was QAnon but but I I I enjoyed QAnon it was fun right you miss it (laughs) I miss it. But what I'm saying is like, like I, I use that as an example as like how like all these new documentaries and especially that you call it a docudrama. Mm-hmm. And I assume that's because it has like the. It's fake, got the reenactments. Like they're all just fucking PR stuff, dude. That's right. all it is. It's all a, it is. It's interesting that we talk about that because the Russell Brand News came out recently and they did something that I thought was despicable in that they used uh, anonymous witness testimony and then created using actors reenactments using actors instead of the people, you know, in a dark shadow or whatever. But the point is when it's acted out, it's very manipulative. Of course. It's not, it's not source material anymore. Um, So there's, there's a couple other things I want to bring up before we wrap and that's there was a, a documentary I want to say it was ninety seven called Curtin Courtney, and if okay. you recall in episode one of this uh, piece on Soaked in Bleach, they recalled the doctor who testified to that like oh you could do that much smack and be fine, but it was methadone. Um, so that guy who made that documentary, I wanted to watch it again. I hadn't seen it in years. It's not available anywhere. I can't find it. It's probably due to some fucking licensing or some shit. Couldn't find it on YouTube. Couldn't find it at the usual sus- places. But somebody was like... Archive.web. Okay. Somebody was like, you guys cannot tell this story without the El Duce um, interview. And the interview, from what I can recall, which I did watch last week, there's because that's available on uh, YouTube, and you should listen to it if you've gone this far down the rabbit hole with us and you're interested. In that documentary, uh, the producer uh, and director found a gentleman that claimed, I believe he lived in Riverside, that claimed Courtney had offered him 50000 to kill Kurt Cobain. Well, two days later, after filming that, he was found dead, hit by a train. So the El Duce <laughs> interview, and by the way, this guy looks like 
hit by a train. Yeah. He, he was lucky to make it to his age. Like uh, in a car or walking? Walking. Two days after it either came out or that piece was shot that ended up in Curtin Courtney. Point is, El Duce is done so after Saturday. <sighs> fucking these people, man. Um, so before we wrap, um, I guess my question to you is, where do you fall in line with just what I've told you um, on probability that Cobain was murdered? Because you said 90-10. Yeah. I, I still think 90-10. I, I think that Kurt could potentially have wanted to get out of the business. Yep. He would have kept all, this, all his money and all his recordings. It would have been all his. If you, even if even if you were to quit, and I believe, you know, and we should double check this. And I believe, you know, Courtney to be some kind of fucking slutty operative that mm-hmm. was approached by Shills to come say from which department? Who the fuck knows? Okay, just whoever does these type of things. Maybe it's not government. Maybe you're it's saying agencies it's, it's for the money. Yeah, and it's like, and 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 it's, it goes much higher than Kurt, than Courtney Love. That's why at every corner, she seemingly has the police on her side or the whatever, and like the don't look at this. Like she doesn't have the power or the wherewithal to do this, but she's got the backing of people who can do this type of things. Right, and. More often than not, I th- I think stuff like this actually happens, and unfortunately, I think that's kind of how it is. And I and I don't know how. So we have, I don't know when Nirvana LLC was created. I don't know when Dave Grohl was brought into all this stuff. I don't know how much of it she actually owns and all right. that stuff. I don't know the numbers either. But the but that alone tells me that like. All the people who have their hand in this have their hand in these the type teen of the team spirit pie, the team spirit pie, <laughs> the rape, the rape me pie. Um, there's one other connection I wanted to bring up that somebody mentioned was a conflict of interest. Um, the um, the me who did the autopsy on Kristen Pfaff, it was the same me that did the autopsy on Kurt Cobain. And somebody had mentioned that, and I don't recall the source, uh, forgive us guys, I'm not a reporter, um, that Courtney was, I'm going to quote from memory, uh, very good friends with the medical examiner. And I don't know how you make that connection. If they're saying that they were friends before any of this happened, I don't know. Uh, It might have been from Max's book, uh, love and death. I can't recall. I didn't read it. Um, but more importantly, um, I guess I need to let you know where I land in on this. If I watch anything, and I've told you this before, if I watch the JFK documentary that says the mafia killed him in an hour and a half, you can convince me the mafia killed him. If I watch a JFK documentary and they say, um, the CIA, the CIA killed him, they killed him. (laughs) If I take another hour and a half and it's the Cubans, now here's the thing. The CIA did kill JFK. I have no doubt about yeah, that. Yeah, and maybe with the 
help of the mafia. Sure, sure. But we, if we go back to, if we want to try and string analogy together, is, is who has the power to benefit? And obviously the deep state, or if you want to call it the shadow government or the CIA, they definitely did. Yeah. Because we, and whether you want to base it out as simply saying war is money and Kennedy was pulling us out of Vietnam and that was it. I think it goes much deeper than that. I think the CIA was a threat uh, they felt Kennedy was a threat, especially after saying, I'm going to break them up and destroy them into a thousand pieces. Keep in mind, this came after the Bay of Pigs incident. He yeah. felt betrayed, and that was why he said that. But yeah, they fucked them. The point is, if you're going to look at this case, you go to who has the money and who has the power. And you're right. There's probably somebody behind Courtney Love that we don't know that was I- I- involved. Now, whether it's true or not, I don't know. I can watch this documentary and I go to bed and I felt it's probably 50-50 that there was some involvement uh, to his death. After sitting on it for a week and doing more research of what I found, the gun thing is a big problem for me. The fact that this documentary said it was melted down and it never was is a huge problem. Yeah, Um, I lean more to the fact that it's probably a 5% chance, maybe 10% chance he was murdered. But there's no way I could say with 100% uh, conviction. Wait, 5% chance that he was murdered? Yes. Okay, yeah. I would, I, here's the thing. If you put a, uh, a gun to my head and said, you, did, if you don't answer correctly, you're dead, I'm going to say Kirk Cobain killed himself. Do you know what I mean? I think it's much, much more likely that he did kill himself. And in the end, I think it was because of Courtney. <laughs> so yeah. she, you could say it that she did kill him eventually. But there is some evidence and manipulation in the documentary that, um, that, that leaves a really sour taste in my mouth, yeah. especially with the gun and then especially with the syringes, uh, with the, the, the 1.52 milligrams because it's described to us so visually saying he'd have to use two and a half needles and it's like, or two and a third. And it's like, no, he could have just fucking hot dosed it. I don't, but again, I don't know how the drugs work. Um, here's the thing back to what I said. Um, it's a fascinating documentary. Yeah. It's, uh, it's worth watching. You need to go into it with an open mind. And I certainly don't want to dissuade anybody in either direction. This is just my opinion. I love passionate people when it comes to, uh, finding uh, the truth, and I say go for it. And I want your opinions on this, uh, especially uh, a good friend of mine, April K. Please out to, uh, reach out to me. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. And I want to give some thanks to Ralphie, some people. Ralphie, I want you to watch this shit, Ralphie. Some people that were helpful in uh, this this two week process for us. Uh, first of all, thank you Tobias Maldonado for the Kristen Faff video. Uh, it just came out three weeks ago. So if you want to do a, dig, a deeper dive on that, uh, do that. And then um, Shane Moore, you've been giving great recommendations. They are cataloged. If I find scripts for them, we will be putting them uh, in the rotation. Simon Vaughn, amazing referral to listen to Rodriguez's song, Rich Folks Hoax. Uh, that was greatly appreciated. And as always, Retard Sexual Blowtorch 68, your work. Bro. I, I am so um, curt in my responses because all I could come up with is brilliant and amazing every time I see him. But 
uh, also Teeny online for your yeah. album specific L- memes. Teeny. Yes, this week, El Teeny. Thank you to that. Um, that being said, um, next week we are, <coughs> bless you, going to shift gears and we are going to uh, discuss a documentary that you can find on Amazon Prime called The Woman Who Wasn't There. So again, thank is you for taking... Is that the one that Bex came up with? Uh, no? Yes, yes. So thank you, Bex. I'll let, um, her know. I'll let her know. We will be doing The Woman Who Wasn't There. And then um, always, I uh, we will never get tired of asking, but please leave us a positive review or share a tweet or tell a friend. Word of mouth is such a huge thing. Tell a friend. And uh, thanks to Broccoli Farms. And Dave, anything else you want to say before uh, uh, we call tonight? Yo, retard sexual blowtorch. 68, fucking, bitch. Little respect. Retired sexual blowtorch 68, 68 fucking knocked it out of the park with the logos that I asked him to make. They're fucking amazing. Can't wait for this another surprise coming up. So thank you very much, buddy. We'll see you next week with episode 63, The Woman Who Wasn't There. Have a great week, everybody.